0: Our next speaker has addressed audiences from Papua New Guinea to India, from Russia to the United States, and of course, all across Australia and New Zealand. One of the things he's most proud of is that his career began much the same as the one he often speaks about, as a tradie. He worked as a foreman of a construction crew on the Sunshine Coast before studying theology at Avondale College. Audiences, is big and small, relish hearing him comment on world events, religious, political history and how to lead with courage. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Justin Lawman.
1: I wonder who Kate is talking about sometimes, but uh, it's great to be here. Uh, my wife doesn't like beards. Uh, if I could see the ladies, I'd get a show of hands. Ladies, who likes beards? Can I hear someone say amen if they like beards? (laughs) Uh, Why would I grow a beard if my wife doesn't like beards? I grow a beard because I can't grow hair. (laughs) If anyone tells you any different and they're bald and they've got a beard, I can tell you why they have a beard. Uh, And As a result of my beard, I still visit the hairdresser. (laughs) And it is one of those small joys in life that uh, cannot be overstated. I love it. And I have a barber where I live down in Canberra in the suburb of Mawson. And he is of the Islamic faith. His name is Noah, and he's a practicing Muslim. And every time I go for a (laughs) haircut... I get my beard trimmed because I want it to last more than 30 seconds. So it, it's uh, we talk religion and faith, and I love that dialogue with a living, breathing brother who is a part of the Islamic faith. And I talk the Bible. And inevitably, the thing that I will talk about in the Bible is the Bible's predictions. Because that's what makes it stand apart from every other sacred script, particularly the Quran. And Noah is extremely interested in what is happening in the world. And he'll ask me, so pastor, what's happened? And I tell him. And I have to say that as a, as a young man, they've emphasized my uh, working class background, working with the guys that I did at that civil engineering company. And I, when I got converted. When I gave my life to God and he flooded into my heart, they had a lot of questions and many more jokes. They called me the seven-day bike rider. (laughs) I don't know how I got that, but uh, they would ask me questions and I quickly learned the thing that convinced me also convinced them. And that is the predictions of the Bible. You've been hearing about lots of them. In my few minutes with you today, I want to talk about what is happening in the world today in light of Bible prophecy. That's such a vast topic, I could have gone lots of places. So I want to land very quickly in Europe. You'll see on the screen the symbol of the separation of Britain, the Brexit with the rest of the EU. Uh, People, I got asked to speak on that and they said, what's happening in Europe? Does the Bible say anything about Europe? Is it just, uh, you know, is there any relationship? I think Australians don't take this book seriously because they think it's just about old stuff. The book of Revelation brings us down to our very day. And we can find our place in history. On the screen is Time Magazine, where they declared uh, the decline and the fall of Europe in 2011. Europe is getting flooded with migrants. They have a, a the, the population's decreasing; it's not increasing with the natives, and so they're relying on that. And people are very concerned: what's going to happen? I want to give you just a brief snippet of Bible prophecy as it relates, not from ancient times, but to things that are current. And in order to do that, I want to go to the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation freaks out many Christians. That picture is enough to freak you out. If uh, that lady knocked on your door, you should close the door. (laughs) But she's there in all her glory in the book of Revelation, in the 17th chapter of Revelation, And by the way, the 17th chapter comes at the end of the story. Chapter 18 is is an appeal. And and chapter 19 and chapter 20 is after the second coming of Jesus. The last piece of predictive prophecy in the book of Revelation comes in chapter 17. And may I remind everyone, the book of Revelation, John tells us that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a hard-hitting book. And if Jesus was preaching here today, he would divide this group. Half would worship and the others would want to kill. So the book of Revelation is not a soft book. It comes hard and it hit home with some really hard-hitting truths. There are four major powers identified in the 17th chapter of Revelation, and I'm just going to take one of those and and give you a taste. My intent is that you'll hear enough today that will make you go home and search and study this for yourself. Revelation 17 and verse 12, we're going to give you some scripture. I have highlighted in yellow these four different powers. They're repeated several times, so there's more than four references, but there's only four. It says, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast." The Bible says that right at the close of earth's history, as we come to the exciting events of Jesus' return, that there will be this power known as the 10 kings who will unite with another power called the beast. These are given one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters in which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues and the ten horns which you saw on the beast These will hate the harlot. They will make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast. This is such a riddle. People say, how how can you understand that? One clergyman in England said that John must have been drunk when he wrote that. He wasn't drunk, as we're going to see. And the woman... Whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. It is given in symbolic language, but there are four characters identified that will play a part in the closing scenes of Earth's history. What are the four? The first is the ten kings or the ten horns, the next is the beast, and then the lamb, and then the woman. Also known as that great city, she's also called a nasty name, the harlot. What does all that mean? I have no time to tell you all of it. But I want to show you how you'll take a Bible and let it identify for you what's been spoken about. You don't need a preacher. You've had some of the best in the country today, and they got me as well. But the... (laughs) The Ten Kings is what I want to spend a little bit of time with you today trying to identify. If you, uh, let me give you a crash course in Bible prophecy. The greatest and the most foundational prophecy is found in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, this Old Testament book, Daniel chapter 2, where King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream, this Babylonian king, and the prophet Daniel explains to him the dream of this metal man made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then his feet are both iron and clay. Now, Daniel repeats this prophecy for us. God gives him a second vision, and it's found in Daniel chapter 7, and we get far more detail. You're on a crash course. What's the problem with a crash course? You crash right afterwards, so... Let's do a crash course. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 2 to to the king of Babylon, he says, you are the head of gold. And the parallel, the four kingdoms that are identified in prophecy is given as a lion with wings of an eagle in Daniel chapter 7. I'm sorry that I have to rush, but this is important for you to know, Uh, this, was, this prophecy was given to the prophet Daniel in the time of Babylon and Daniel looked down the corridor of history and he saw our day. People will sometimes say, hey, uh, Pastor, wasn't that made up afterwards? And we would say, no. And then in 1947, they dug up, well, they found by accident, they didn't dig it. They threw a rock into a cave in the Dead Sea up in the hills around Place where they had a settlement called Qumran, and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they have eight copies of the book of Daniel that date back to 250 BC. You can be the biggest skeptic on earth, and you can't deny that this is prediction. That's the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. After Babylon came. A chest and arms of silver, and that's the power of Medo-Persia. It's symbolised by a bear. The bear gives more details. He's raised up on one side because it's Medes and Persians. There's two arms, it's a coalition, and the bear has three ribs because he destroys three other nations. After that is Greece, bronze, and then the, the leopard with four heads. There's four kings that follow in Greece, and it moves very fast. And then there's Rome, and after Roman, it's an iron power, and it's described as a dragon or a a nondescript beast for us. But at the end of that, there are 10 toes and 10 horns. The two prophecies parallel. So this helps us identify when Revelation says the 10 kings or the 10 horns, who they are. We know that after the Roman Empire came to its end, it broke up. And it broke up basically into 10 different kingdoms. We call it today Western Europe. And so whenever you hear about the 10 kings or the 10 horns in my crash course, I'm telling you today that it's Western Europe. And in Daniel 2, it says after... That last kingdom of iron, it says, in the time of those kings. That's the ten toes. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. You know what excites me? I don't live in the time of the Roman Empire. I don't live in the time of Greece. I live in the toenails of the image. (laughs) There's a lot of things happening in the world. They have great significance. In Daniel 7, it says, the 10 horns out of this kingdom are 10 kings. The Bible has identified for us this mysterious description in Revelation 17. It's given us the identification of the first of those four characters. It gives us all of them. They're mentioned again in the Bible in Revelation 12 and verse 3, in Revelation 13 and verse 1, And in Revelation 17, 12, the verse we read, five times in the Bible, you get 10 kings, 10 horns. It is always Western Europe with that fire. I don't have time to give you the rest. My appeal to you, uh, if you're a Bible-believing person, particularly I'm appealing... For the people that already take this book seriously, if you don't know what these prophecies are, it's time to find out. Let me give you, again, we're going to go real quick, the 10 kings of Western Europe, the beast I'm not going to identify for you, I could, but I need another hour. Because I, I don't want to leave you with a partial truth. Go and study Revelation 13 and verse 1. In parallel with Daniel chapter 7, you'll find out. The lamb, of course, is Jesus, our saviour. And the woman is known as fallen Christianity. The woman's always a church. Europe, the Bible says in Revelation 17, that Europe will unite. They'll have one mind and one purpose for one hour. And it says actually until... The return of Jesus, that will take place. That's never happened in history. And on the screen is a map of the religious faith of Europe. The purple are the Protestants. The the blue are Roman Catholic. The red is Orthodox. And the green is Islamic. Uh, There's Tibetan there as well. But how on earth could you ever unite Europe? Let me show you some fascinating things that are happening right now and in the last decade or so. Uh, this is a poster when the European Union was formed. It was the e- economic uh, community at first and then it became the EU. That poster is from a biblical story. Does anyone want to yell out what that is a picture of? It's a tower of Babel where God... In the book of Genesis, confuses their tongues, and in order to promote their new union in Europe, they used something that was against what's happening, in defiance. And down in the bottom corner, if you have a look, it says, Europe, many tongues, one voice. It's a play on what happened in Genesis where God confuses their languages so they don't have one voice. They're saying, we'll do just fine. In fact, they took this so seriously that that poster, an architect, when he built their headquarters in Strasbourg, he designed their headquarters on the Tower of Babel. Of course, that's just a coincidence. No, it's not. I don't have the picture. You can Google it. Out the front of that is a woman riding a beast. The birth of Europe happened that way in their mythology. And so they actually have a woman riding the beast out of front of the Tower of Babel as the headquarters for the EU. And you can see the poster and the, uh, the building itself, they just mesh right in. That's what the architect did. When they joined the EU together in 2004, the, the British Prime Minister down the bottom is signing the Constitution. They didn't go to that headquarters. They went to the ancient capital of Europe. They went to Rome. And they signed that document right in front of a statue of Pope Innocent X, who has a tremendous role in history, if you wanted to study that. People say, Pastor, Islam is posing such a danger. How how can we handle this It's it's politically a time bomb at the moment. I just want to say today that um, I'm not into terrorism and the things that are happening there, but I think there's bigger things at play. There's bigger things at play. And what's happening in Europe right now with this terrible uh, Islamic extremists that are attacking and pillaging. just, uh, Just this last week, we get another attack. There's just one in New York. It's happening everywhere. We hold our breath in Australia. We've already had a few. Are there going to be bigger ones? And the whole time, our liberties and our freedoms are being removed and the world is being herded down into one little corner. And Europe, that place where they'll never unite, they fight just because they can fight, Europe with all these diverse faiths, with all these diverse beliefs, how on earth could you get them to come together? And I want to say that the extreme strand of Islam is actually doing that for them. And it's not a coincidence. I, I know I'm saying this is cooked up by the CIA. I want to tell you that God is in charge of history. God is in charge of history. And my friends, we live at the end of it. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, it says, For God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast. I want you to notice the last words in that verse. Until the words of God are fulfilled, That is to the end of time. That is the second coming of Jesus. My friends, we live in amazing times. The Bible has shone a spotlight down the corridor of time to our very day. This is not just an ancient book. This is not just ancient prophecies fulfilled in the past. This is happening still and will continue to happen with greater force. This is time now to study it. God bless you.
0: Uh, Justin, uh, come back out. Thank you. Just got a a few questions that have come through. Uh, Let me just put them to you very quickly. We don't have uh, much time before we take a break. How does Israel fit into uh, last day's prophecy? (laughs) <laughs> How long have we got again? the uh,
1: yeah. modern Israel was established after the Second World War. Uh, I think it's going to play a tremendous role because of what's taking place in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of people think that the temple will be rebuilt and that there will be uh, a whole revival of Israel. I don't share that view, and that's from this book. Yes, it plays a role, and, uh, and I think already a significant role, But maybe not in the way some people are saying. And uh, Jesus left that temple mount and he said, your house is left unto you desolate. Uh, That's never going to be changed. So I I think a lot of people look at Israel maybe with too much emphasis. Let's open the Bible and see what it tells us about that. And uh, that's a a whole other. That's very good, man. Well,
0: that was good. So I'm going to ask you an even harder question. This again came through. Can you give a little insight on the mark of the beast, which is talked about in the book of Revelation, where uh, you won't be able to buy or sell things without the mark of the beast? <laughs> yeah, I can, but I'm not going to. Uh, look,
1: if you, uh, I, I've preached on this in different parts of the world where i got in a lot of trouble because it's controversial. I don't care about getting in trouble. Um, I get in trouble anyway. In order, as I'll tell the audience, in order to know what the mark of the beast is, you have to identify the beast. It's really easy after that. So many Christians, I'm mean, a Christian, I was at a guy's house, I was at his door and he, he wanted me to do this and do that and he said, you, you're, yeah, you're just trying to teach you what you're saying and you're not listening. I'm listening to you, man. But I asked him a question. Jesus, our Saviour says, in, in Matthew 24, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, this is Matthew twenty four fifteen. standing in the holy place. This guy had been a Christian 40 years. I said, man, what did Jesus mean? He said, I have no idea. You have to know. God gave us these warnings so we could be prepared. In order to know what the mark of the beast is, you must be able to identify the beast from the Bible, not from what a church says or what a preacher says,
0: from the Bible. Very good for a short answer. Uh, yeah, applaud. I think uh, These are not easy questions. Finally, um, you talked about studying the European information more. Uh, what's a reliable source that's up to date?
1: There, there are so many good uh, Bible-based seminars, Secrets of Prophecy, Uh, The prophetic code. Lyle was very involved in the prophetic code in the making of it. These are first class resources. You can go into your local Seventh day Adventist church and ask for that. And there should be, every Adventist church should be able to make those available. If you just want to go online and do a Google search, what can't Google find, Casey? That's right. What can't Google find? Google search that the Discovery Centre is being set up so they will mail you things out. And you can do the study. You send it back in and that, they'll correct or give you more info if you need it. It's a brilliant resource. Guess how much it costs?
0: How much? It's free, man. Amazing. Free. I like free stuff. Yeah. And actually, there is the booth for Discovery Center will be set up uh, during the break. Awesome. Would you uh, thank Justin Lawman for his <clears throat> boldness? And we do appreciate it. Justin will be speaking again later, which we look forward to.